0: The following podcast will contain foul language and spoilers, and if we're lucky, sex, violence, nudity, and triggers. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome to the Everett Book Club. We are a twice-monthly book review and discussion podcast specializing in old or out-of-print science fiction and fantasy.
0: My name is Ruiz Tremello, and I am hilariously allergic to winter weather.
1: And my name is Marguerite, and I am allergic to bullets.
0: Together we travel the world administering Turing tests, and this week we are in Los Angeles, Thailand.
1: The city of Los Angeles, Thailand is almost identical in every way to the American Los Angeles. There are lovely beaches, a population of 2,000, and barely a dozen cars.
0: And just like L.A. USA, L.A. Thailand once had a famous movie filmed here. The award-winning Shaolin Monkey Slap.
1: I love that movie. The fight scene with the killer apes in the Forest Temple was magnificent.
0: But we're not here today to talk about movie spoilers, because we're actually here to talk about The Golden Egg by Theodore Sturgeon from 1941. Today's story comes from Selections from Science Fiction Thinking Machines, edited by Groff Conklin. The same collection that we actually featured last week which is why I'm going to describe the cover, Marguerite. Please do. There's an orange background and a weird-shaped thing, and then there's some other things that are also weirdly shaped.
1: Congratulations. That was very
0: descriptive. Thank you. I am pretty good at this, aren't I? No. Wow. <laughs> the back of the book actually does have a description of this story, which features spoilers, so I won't read it to you. Hmm. But it will be in the show notes. Ooh. Spoilers for listeners. So last week, Marguerite, you may recall that the story was written in the 40s and you were looking forward to how sexist it was going to be. Yep. Well, this week's episode is probably the most sexist one we've done so far. Oh no. And so that's a trigger warning for any listeners who find casual or blatant sexism to be a trigger. You may want to skip this one.
1: Unless you love rage, I guess.
0: Well, you're going to love rage. (sighs) So today's story takes place in present-day America, and by present-day I mean 1941, when it was written.
1: We'll see how uh, present-day it actually is.
0: So we'll start with the first sentences of Theodore Sturgeon's The Golden Egg. When time itself was half its present age, and in an unknowable dimension, he was born. He left his world so long before he came to Earth that even he did not know how long he had been in space. He had lived so long on that world that even he could not remember what he had been before his science had changed his race. Hmm. So we learn that he, our as-yet-unnamed protagonist, came from a world very, very far from Earth. From a planet that orbited binary stars, one yellow and one blue. His planet had a fantastic civilization and sciences beyond humanity's most profound visions. But it was too perfect, too boring.
1: That's unhuman. human.
0: Quote, there was no struggle and no discomfort and no disease. There was, therefore, no frontiers, no goals, no incentives, and eventually, no possible achievements save one, the race itself and the changes possible to it. And so, this mighty civilization decided to get rid of cumbersome bodies. And as expected, they succeeded. To quote once more, As the death of an inhabitant became more rare, rarer still became the advent of new life. It was a mighty race, a powerful race, a most highly civilized race, and a sterile race. Of course. The refinements of their biology continued down through the ages until all that was left of their bodies were golden eggs. Oh. That could move about. Sorry,
1: I thought you, I thought they were going to be like just non-corporeal entities.
0: That would make sense too. But no, they're just floaty golden eggs. Hmm. That could move as they wished through the air or space or even time itself. Hmm. But the egg race became bored.
1: <laughs> I'd also be bored if I was an egg.
0: They hung about in small groups discussing things unimaginable to us puny humans.
1: How's being an egg today? Pretty eggy.
0: While others reveled in solitude, unmoving until the landscape itself formed over top and around them. Some asked to be killed and were killed. Others were killed in disputes. Hmm. And still others...
1: I thought there wasn't any conflict.
0: (laughs) I did say that, didn't it? And still others flung themselves into the heart of stars. But one, one golden egg, flew off into space to go traveling. Only
1: one? That's really surprising.
0: And after a series of adventures too boring to discuss on this podcast, (laughs) the golden egg found himself on Earth. He lay in some bushes by a country road, observing the Earth and analyzing its elements.
1: (laughs) From the bushes. (laughs) Like a creeper.
0: (laughs) Suddenly, a random goose happens by, and he analyzed the goose to find that it, quote, was a conventional one and blindly proud of its traditional silliness. Sure. Goose... That's how
1: I would describe a goose.
0: The goose starts inspecting the golden egg, who gets annoyed and searches the goose's brain for a way to annoy it. Oh. And settles upon using telekinesis to pull out its tail feathers.
1: Oh, what?
0: Meanwhile, two children happen to be passing by a 12 year old boy named Chris and his unnamed five year old sister. They exchange dialogue steeped in rural 1940s American cliche. <laughs> When they suddenly hear a squawking goose and go to investigate, Chris, the older brother, stops to pick up a stick to use in case he needs to defend himself.
1: Oh, yeah. Geese? Gooses? geese? Geese are notoriously bitey.
0: While his younger sister runs ahead, quote, He found her jumping up and down, clapping her hands and gurgling, I told you so, I told you so, which is the most annoying thing any woman can say to any man.
1: Oh, and it started.
0: So, knowing the fairy tale of the goose that laid the golden egg, the young duo assume that this is, in fact, the goose from the story.
1: Oh, from the goose that laid the golden egg.
0: Yeah, yeah, the fairy tale. Mm -hmm. So the boy spits on the egg that he finds, the golden egg, Why? and wipes his sleeve on it.
1: To shiny it up?
0: To shiny it up, saying that the egg is pretty. He then throws it casually up in the air, as one does with eggs.
1: (laughs) With golden eggs?
0: And they wait two full minutes, but it never falls back down.
1: (laughs) It's got to be confusing.
0: Also, they... are their
1: tiny children brains.
0: Also, when they bring the goose home, they learn that it's a gander.
1: (laughs) Even more miraculous, I say.
0: But that episode's over, and the golden egg decides that it would like to try to experience life as a biped for a while.
1: Because the two children made it look so glorious, or glamorous.
0: (laughs) And it ponders whether to take the form of a feathered or unfeathered biped.
1: Not feathered. That's my choice.
0: (laughs) But eventually decides on the human form, because it saw Chris holding a stick. So the humans are clearly slightly more intelligent. (laughs) Because they have tool use.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: So the golden egg is still flying above the earth, but after making its decision, it flies down to a small town and shoots down the street at an incredible speed. As it zooms down the road, a sniper is resting in an alley. Why? Aiming his gun at a target across the road.
1: Oh, 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 this is just a coincidence.
0: He takes the shot, and the bullet just happens to hit the side of the egg, deflecting it away from the target. Huh? But the golden egg is invincible, so the bullet bounces off, and the sniper leaves confused, having never missed so easy a shot before.
1: And he just leaves?
0: Yeah, then the sniper just leaves.
1: Isn't he getting paid?
0: Uh, We never hear about the sniper again, but I'm assuming he doesn't because he missed his target.
1: Yeah, I know, but wouldn't that be an issue? Why wouldn't you just try again?
0: (laughs) The egg heads just outside of town, finds a farmer's field, dives below the surface of the earth, and creates a subterranean base complete with a vaulted ceiling and a level polished floor. Ooh, fancy. Scanning the surrounding area, it locates all the assorted elements needed to create a human. An easy task since humans are, quote, hardly complex. Hm,
1: <laughs> that's true.
0: The egg decides that it needs a a type of human to base its design off of. And mm. heads back into town to observe humanity. It thinks to itself, quote, "Those smaller ones must be the males, the ones that strut and slink and apparently do little work and wear all those blatant colors and so ridiculously accentuate the color of the oral orifice."
1: Uh, um, mm, never don't
0: and the larger, muscular ones, I suppose, are females. How drab.
1: Well, I guess that is kind of typical in animal society where the, like, shiny, fluffy, colorful ones are the men.
0: That's true. That's why the brain assumes to that. attract a mate. Mm-hmm.
1: With their shiny colors.
0: Scanning a woman's brain, that's a real woman, not what it thinks to be a woman. Okay. The egg realizes his mistake about the sexes and declares, quote, whew, an emotional monstrosity. Uh, And decides to be male instead. uh, I am going to hate this story. But what kind of male? Reaching his psychic tendrils into a passing woman, he inclines her thoughts towards what would make up the perfect man.
1: He's choosing on base what a woman wants. That's interesting.
0: Unfortunately, so caught up in this daydream of a perfect man, the woman wanders into the street and gets oh hit by God. a car.
1: Oh, yeah, that happens every day. I've almost been hit by so many cars. While
0: dreaming of the Just perfect dreaming man. Dreaming of the perfect man. You mean of me?
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst well, dreaming of Ruiz, we all have had that moment. All of us. Yeah. Men and women alike. Do you know how many men and women have been killed by cars because of you and your perfection?
0: Well, I know about four.
1: (laughs) At least.
0: At at least. Fortunately, however, when she recovers, she goes on to marry the driver. So, all's well, ends well.
1: Oh, well.
0: That makes it okay, right?
1: So glad they had a happy ending.
0: Quote, The brain sped back to the laboratory, nursing his mental picture. Of a muscular, suave, urbane, sophisticated, and considerate demigod. (laughs) And began to assemble his machinery.
1: What were those traits again?
0: Muscular, suave, urbane, sophisticated, and considerate.
1: Oh, and considerate, yeah.
0: Demigod-like.
1: Mm-hmm. I didn't hear rich in there. (laughs) I guess maybe with a combination of all those traits, it's just assumed.
0: A page and a half later, the human is assembled. Completely anatomically accurate all the way up to the hinged skull that opens down the middle to allow the golden egg to enter the skull and nest within the brain.
1: Anatomically correct.
0: After acclimating to his new body, you know, stumbling around and experiencing breathing and whatnot.
1: Ugh, and other more unpleasant body functions.
0: We suddenly cut to, quote, Chauncey Thomas was an aristocrat. It's a new character.
1: Oh, yay, is that a woman or a man?
0: Chauncey Thomas is a man thrown down three flights of stairs within the city's most exclusive apartment.
1: Thrown down
0: all for the crime of sleeping on a stairwell landing. Oh. Then he was arrested for trespassing after being th- thrown down the stairs, mm. and put to work in the jail before being run out of town because it was the ninth time he was arrested. No, pray. Because Chauncey Thomas is a hobo of the Depression era variety. Yeah, I guessed. As he walks down the side of the road, Chauncey is suddenly accosted by a six-foot-five, naked, muscular...
1: Six-foot-five?
0: ...muscular demigod.
1: Naked? Naked?
0: Naked, muscular, six-foot-five. There's going to
1: just be everyone getting run over by cars with that situation going on.
0: Urbane, sophisticated, (laughs) nude demigod.
1: (laughs) Oh my god, it's going to be chaos.
0: Chauncey manages to squirm from the giant's grasp. And starts running away, only to run a full U-turn and run straight back to the giant, propelled by a powerful hypnotic suggestion. That egg has all kinds of powers.
1: Or, you know, just the super attractiveness of this demigod.
0: (laughs) I tried to run away. I tried. The sexiness pulled him back.
1: Too sexy. Like a
0: black hole of sexiness.
1: (laughs) Just like you, a black hole of sexiness.
0: (laughs) I will take that as a compliment, because that's my choice. You should. Standing before the giant, Chauncey felt, quote, something seemed to be crawling into Chauncey's mind, creeping Ugh. about there. Mm-mm. It was horrifying, and yet it wasn't unpleasant. He felt himself being drawn out, his memories examined, his knowledge of human society and human culture and traditions mm. and history. Within a few minutes, the giant had as complete a knowledge of human conduct and speech as Chauncey Thomas ever had.
1: As this hobo does.
0: Nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> Chauncey asks what the giant wants with him, and the giant decides on the spot that his name is Elron, and introduces himself. Mm-hmm. When Chauncey asks what happened to Elron's clothes, Elron scans <laughs> Chauncey's mind to discover what he would consider to be a beautiful outfit. Oh no. Uh, after getting the picture, he tells the hobo to wait right there, uh, using a hypnotic suggestion, of course. And he heads back to his subterranean base to craft a new outfit.
1: Oh, how does he do that? Just like gather materia and then put it into the uh, replicator?
0: Exactly. And he crafts his new outfit, which is, quote, a plaid suit with a diamond checked vest and yellow shoes, Mm, mm -mm. a wing collar and a 10-gallon hat. Oh,
1: wow. This sounds atrocious.
0: Coming back to the road, Elron and Chauncey start hiking to the next town, Springfield. Chauncey holds out his thumb to every passing car in hopes of hitching a ride, and finally a car pulls over. Chauncey's about to sit in the front seat when Elron grabs him and orders him to the back seat because, quote, he had seen the driver. She was lovely.
1: So he already knows, like he's already got sexual attraction, I guess?
0: Apparently. She asks where they're going, and he says Springfield, and as she starts driving... Elrond, the golden alien egg demigod giant, (laughs) Uh starts thinking to himself, quote, She was as tiny and perfect as he was big and perfect. Mm. And Mm. she handled the car with real artistry.
1: For a woman.
0: Judging her by human standards, Elrond thought her very pleasing to look upon.
1: Hmm, That's all a woman needs to be.
0: Utilizing Chauncey's knowledge of human speech and etiquette, Elrond immediately unnerves the unnamed female. (laughs) She glances at him and he says, What's up, babe?
1: Ooh, ouch.
0: Prompting her to reply, Nothing. Don't call me babe.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This seems pretty contemporary to me.
0: (laughs) A moment later, after some more confusion, she adds, That he doesn't look like the type of man to call girls babe.
1: (laughs) Every man potentially has that in him. (laughs)
0: When she asks why he's headed to Springfield, Elrond says that he's never seen a city before. And when the so far unnamed driver says, Don't tell me you never saw a city. He draws upon Chauncey's knowledge to reply, It ain't worrying you any, is it? What do you care? Ooh, this guy. What a charmer. When she becomes cold and distant, Elrond orders her to pull the car over. And then he probes her mind.
1: Oh.
0: Quote, he learned why it was déclassé to address a woman as babe.
1: Uh, the more appropriate uh, usage is toots or broad,
0: <laughs> or skirt, or skirt, or dame.
1: Oh, dame. definitely.
0: And that among civilized people, ten-gallon hats were not worn with wing collars.
1: Mm-mm. And the size of your hat is directly inverse to the size of your penis.
0: So the smaller a hat. The larger the penis. So that's why I have so many yarmulkes.
1: (laughs) Is that why?
0: (laughs) Continuing to probe, Elrond likes her usage of language better than Chauncey's.
1: I would imagine.
0: Learns about both music and money, which was interesting because Chauncey apparently didn't know anything about money.
1: Or music?
0: And discovers her name, Ariadne Drew. That's a name. He also learns, quote... She had a great deal of wealth she had not earned, and she was so used to being treated according to her station in life that she was careless about such things as picking up hitchhikers on the road.
1: Ooh, that doesn't seem accurate, but okay.
0: When Elrond releases her from the psychic probing, Ariadne wonders why she'd pulled the car over, and Elrond replies he'd had to go check on her rear tire. (laughs) He then tries to comfort her using her own vernacular. Mm telling her, quote, I must apologize for this hat. It's just too, too revolting. I saw a cute little number the other day in a shop on the avenue, and cute I mean to number. get it. <laughs> and I mean to get it. My dear, I'm mean.
1: You know what? More, ni- more men need to talk like that. Like, <laughs> oh, I saw this cute little number in the window. Time <laughs> to get me them shoes.
0: She glances at him confused while he chatters on. Quote, I saw Susie Greenfield the other day. Oh, you know Susie. And she didn't see me. I took care of that.
1: (laughs) By hitting her with my car.
0: And do you know who she was with? That horrible Jenkins person. Who are you? Ariadne asks. Confused.
1: I would also be confused.
0: I hear that Susie is... Oh, what? Who am I? Oh, yes. About Susie. You've probably heard this awful gossip before, so stop me if you have. But she told her husband. And that's when Ariadne pulls the car over and orders him out.
1: Get out, you gossip. I don't cotton to gossip.
0: And as she drives off, she tells him that he forgot to polish his fingernails.
1: Oh. Well, that's a massive burn.
0: Chauncey is confused and asks...
1: I'm also confused. And
0: asks, what the hell did you do? Prompting Elrond to state, don't swear, it's vulgar. You were very crude, Chauncey. I don't want to have you around. Goodbye, darling.
1: Darling. Oh, this is fantastic.
0: Because Ariadne calls everyone darling.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Darling... I hope he said it like that. Oh, that'd be so
0: After psychically demanding money from a random passerby, Elrond heads to a hotel, checks in, and puts his body to sleep.
1: Hmm. Oh, being able to psychically demand things from people, that'd be great. I'd be like, get me some chocolate. And then they'd have to go get me some chocolate.
0: You do that with me right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> the Elrond the golden egg slips out of the anatomically correct skull flap and heads across town to check on Ariadne. He finds her house and drops down the chimney, just in time... Just like Santa. Or a squirrel. Just in time to see her visiting with, gasp, Susie Greenfield, (laughs) who's described as a buck-toothed sparrow with a personality as soothing as a seven-year itch. Oh, my God. Susie Greenfield can tell that something's amiss with Ariadne. And while normally Ariadne wouldn't talk about it to her... Because you know Susie Greenfield. Oh, Susie! Elron the Egg strokes the tendrils of her mind. Oh
1: no, this is horrible.
0: And she confesses the whole hitchhiking incident, including how handsome Elron was, although he would have looked so nice in a soft gray suit and a homburg hat.
1: Mm. No one, no one who is anyone, doesn't go out
0: with a homburg hat. Heading back to the hotel, Elron the Egg looks down at Elron the human body, with his naturally hinged braincase and thinks to himself, quote, he was ashamed of himself for underestimating the subtle nuances of human behavior. He had succeeded in making something ridiculous out of this biped he had created. And that fact annoyed him.
1: We all do at one point. It's called
0: being in your 20s. There was a challenge in it. Elrond could control powers that could easily disintegrate this whole tiny galaxy and spread its dust through seven dimensions. Yet he was most certainly being made a fool of by a woman.
1: Ah, wow, sexism already, this guy's (laughs) been here, what, for like half a day?
0: It occurred to him that there was nothing quite as devious and demanding as a woman's mind. It likewise occurred to him that a woman is easy to control as long as she always has her way.
1: Mm, That'll... uh, you're not being controlled if you always get your way.
0: He was determined. But sure,
1: you keep thinking like that, and the women—the women will be better off that way.
0: He was determined to see how closely a man could resemble a woman's ideal.
1: Oh, damn! I thought how closely a man could resemble a woman—that would be <sighs> adorable.
0: Well, he'd have to polish his fingernails for that. For sure. Three months pass.
1: Three months.
0: Elron throws away the ten-gallon hat and the plaid suit and the yellow shears. It took
1: him three months.
0: And he heads to the greatest city of them all, which is not actually named. Oh. He speaks to many different people and different types of people as well. He builds himself an intellect and creates a dialect of his own instead of copying others. And he even gives himself a fictional backstory and ends up writing and selling his own poetry.
1: Oh, Oh, this gets the worst.
0: (laughs) When you're human, you got to be a poet. (laughs) Quote, it was at one of those pale pink and puffy poetry teas
1: <gasps>
0: that Ariadne saw Elron again. She arrives fashionably late, and he's waiting for her, dressed in a soft grey suit and homburg hat.
1: Mm, finally,
0: when she walks in, everyone sees her, but she only has eyes for Elron, and he knows <clears> it. <throat> and immediately they leave together, to the shock and consternation of the hostess of the poetry reading. Susie Greenfield herself.
1: She's allowed to host things?
0: As they leave, Ariadne asks if Elron was the hitchhiker from a few months back, and he says yes. She asks what happened to that hideous little tramp you were traveling with.
1: <laughs> I murdered him.
0: <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, Chauncey is now Elron's chauffeur.
1: Oh, we kept him.
0: Quote, he doesn't any anymore with his atrocious diction.
1: And I taught him about money.
0: I found it possible to change his attitude towards work. But... To change his diction was beyond even me. He no longer speaks.
1: Ooh, wow.
0: Ariandi stares at him and doesn't think that's the red flag at all. (laughs) And then declares, You're everything I thought you might possibly be. Mm. That was their first evening together. There were many others, and Elrond conducted himself perfectly, as befitted a brilliant and urbane biped. (laughs) Catering to every wish and whim of Ari's amused him, for she was as moody as a beautiful woman could be. Oh, God. And he delighted in predicting and anticipating her moods.
1: So far, so good for her.
0: He adjusted himself to her, hour by hour, day by day. He was ideal. He was perfect. So, she got bored. (laughs) He adjusted himself to that, too, and she was furious.
1: Every time you say he adjusts himself, I imagine him, like, adjusting himself.
0: If she didn't care, neither did he. Mm -hmm. So that's how he's adjusting himself. He's basically just a mirror for all of her moods. That sounds
1: so boring. I kind of agree. That does sound boring.
0: They argue. They fight.
1: They make love.
0: Quote, he questioned her, and he psychoanalyzed her, and he even killed off all the streptococci in her bloodstream to see if that was the trouble. What the hell? (laughs) one day their fighting reaches a crescendo when he enters the room and she has her back to him and refuses to speak to him or face him at all Uh huh. after ten minutes Elrond grabs her shoulder and spins her around to face him but Ariadne's heel gets caught in the carpet because Americans wear their shoes inside the house like Like filthy barbarians and Ariadne falls and hits her head on the way down knocking her unconscious oh man when she comes to, quote, oh Elron, she blubbered. You brute! You struck me. Oh, darling, I love you so. I oh nev- my God! I never thought you would do it.
1: Ugh, this is horrible.
0: <laughs> quote, a great light of understanding burst for Elron. That was the basic secret of this thing called woman. She could not love him when he acted in a perfectly rational way. Oh my God. <laughs> Even as Ariadne is potentially suffering from a concussion, Elrond suddenly declares, Back in a few days! And abruptly leaves.
1: Oh, well, just leave this uh, concussed woman on the floor. That'll be fine.
0: (laughs) Quote, He was grateful to her for amusing him for a while and for teaching him something new. But he could not afford to upset himself by associating with her any longer. To keep her happy, he would have to act unintelligently periodically, and that was one thing he could not stand. (sighs) <sighs> this is the worst. As he drives out of town, Elrond thinks to himself that he can't be bothered to keep track of anything so complicated as Ariadne. So he heads back to his underground lair. <laughs> Leaving the brain case of his body, the Elrond egg gets to work. And three hours later, Elrond the human sits up and thanks the egg for the gift of consciousness.
1: Oh, he, he just gave the body consciousness? Yeah. This, nothing could go wrong with this.
0: Elrond the human asks what he's going to do now and the egg tells him to marry Ariadne saying she was good to him and deserves that much. Hmm. Anything else Elrond the human asks? (laughs) The egg replies, quote, burn this in your brain with letters of fire. A woman can't possibly love a man unless he's part dope. Oh my God. Be a little stupid all the time and (sighs) very stupid once in a while. But Mm. don't be perfect.
1: This is terrible.
0: And saying goodbye, son, to Elrond the man, Mm -hmm. we reached the final sentences. Mm -hmm. Elrond the man left the laboratory and went out into the sunlight. The golden egg settled on the floor and lay there for an hour or so. He laughed once within himself and said, too perfect, and then felt terribly, terribly lonely. What the hell? And thus ends The Golden Egg by Theodore Sturgeon from 1941. That was awful. So, I did say that it would be sexist. Yeah. I think it is worth stating for the record that it's kind of sexist against both genders, though. Agreed. Because when he says he's going to be the perfect man, all he means is that he's just going to cater to her every wish and whim instead of having a personality. Sure, like personal or, autonomy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and the, yeah. It's and,
1: generally sexist all around.
0: Mm-hmm. Ugh. Wow. I, I figured you would like that.
1: I don't know if like is the word I would use.
0: <laughs> Theodore Sturgeon was the working name of the U.S. author... Of a fish. <laughs> of the author, born Edward Hamilton Waldo.
1: It's an interesting choice. Maybe he was just, like, looking around, like, what should my name be? He looks down at his plate, and he's like, Sturgeon. <laughs> Do people eat Sturgeon?
0: Uh, yes, because oh, Sturgeon yeah. is actually what makes caviar. Oh. And in... 1955 he had a short story collection called caviar shut up seriously uh, yes that's correct
1: oh my god <laughs> okay
0: theodore sturgeon is the author of several books including star trek the joy machine Ooh. thunder and roses oh yeah he wrote killdozer i forgot about that one that's the one about a uh, bulldozer that comes to life
1: and kills people
0: and kills people yes hey how did you know D&D?
1: I am excellent guessing.
0: This has been the Everett Book Club. You can visit us online at www.everettbookclub.com.
1: Or email us at everettbookclub at hotmail.com.
0: Or go to our Instagram. Or our Facebook, but mostly our Instagram. (laughs)
1: Instagram, yo.
0: If you or your organization are building an artificial intelligence... Marguerite and I are available to administer Turing tests.
1: Please note, there is no guarantee of accuracy, efficacy, or professionalism, ever.
0: And if you know of any second-hand bookstores that deserve some love, email us, and we'll give them a shout-out. So, Marguerite, Los Angeles, Thailand has been very relaxing.
1: Really has, Ruiz. There are way fewer ninjas lurking in the shadows than I had expected or hoped.
0: Well, that's because real ninjas don't lurk, they skulk.
1: And they're not real ninjas if you can see them.
0: That's true. And if the movie Shaolin Monkey Slap has taught me anything, it's that we can be surrounded by ninjas right now and not even know it.
1: Good thing we saw that movie so we'd know what to expect from this town.
0: I was expecting kung fu shenanigans. So far the only shenaniganizing I've seen has been my own.
1: We've still got a few days and we are going to the forest temple later.
0: You mean the one with the killer apes?
1: The very same. I'm bringing my flamethrower.
0: Now that's a recipe for kung fu action.